All right, we are going to continue the study we were on. I'm a little bit frustrated because usually when I go through these uh, series like this, I always write down the date and where exactly I stopped so we don't retread everything. I don't know why for the life of me I did not draw my line and date last time. So I, I think I know roughly where we were, so forgive me if we uh, backtrack uh, a little bit. And uh, we will turn to some passages here in a minute, but let me just back up and talk about a little where we've been. Again, we're just highlighting some of, we're not going to go, this isn't even exhaustive. We really could spend a very, very long time on this. Um, just going through most of the major references concerning music in the scriptures because it is such a big issue. And again, something that the Bible mentions so frequently, um, something that Lucifer was created to have the ability to do, and something that we know, even the secular world knows, is a tremendously powerful influence. I mean, just think for a minute how much of your memories are tied into music. Uh, some of you, there may be a hymn that when you hear it in a certain setting, you'll break down in tears because you are remembering something in your Christian life. A high point or low point. Um, sadly, from my worldly days, I can hear songs that I haven't heard in 20 years. And it'll take me right back to one of the last times I heard it and what was going on and, and everything. I mean, the, the human mind is an amazing thing and its ability to remember. And so something that is that powerfully influential that we all acknowledge it is, that the devil was created to influence uh, and that the Bible talks so much about is never, ever a side issue. It, it frankly astounds me. Uh, when churches come out and teach music is preferential. Uh, as long as you, how many of you have ever heard this applied to anything? As long as you do it with all your heart. As long as you're sincere, it's acceptable. Is that true? How do you know? Yeah, but somebody cried and they really meant it, right? <laughs> well, this is, this is the gauge right here. And so we're just hitting on some of the highlights now, of course, emotion and joy, they absolutely have their place. I don't think it's honoring to God to have no emotion when it comes to our relationship with Him. We were created to be emotional. They just have to be subject to truth. They have to be subject uh, to sound teaching. So just a few of the things you looked at, and I know we went through this list. I think we went through all of this, but let me just touch on it. Um, of course, Satan's mentioned in connection with music before his downfall. Tabrets and pipes built in. Lights, glitz, glamour. Uh, I mentioned one preacher called Satan a master of media. He was created that way. Um, I don't think it's any accident that in this age of technology, and the technology itself isn't bad, but we are very, very influenced by glitz and glamour. Um, I think now is, uh, let me just, let me open a can of worms, a side trail. Our, uh, is a TV screen, a phone screen, is that in itself bad? It's awful hard to fill it with good content though, isn't it? But I think even in the neutral side of it, so to speak, we have to be careful because one thing that medium does is it lets certain parts of the mind stay dormant. And uh, we have to remember something. 
God left us truth. He could have done so in video form, musical form, any form he wanted. He chose, we say black and white, but you know what I mean. He chose pen and ink to give us a book. So as we're allowing appetites to grow in our children, we need to be mindful of things that are short-circuiting the mind's ability to pay attention to something like this. Uh, because, and, and again, I'm not saying those mediums are bad in and of themselves, but they have a very deadening effect they can. Um, I think some of us have found it. Let's say you spend hours watching things on a video screen and then try to read. Does it not take your mind a while? Because it's not, it's not hitting all the emotions at the same level. So anyway, that's, that's a side note. But Satan is very much an influencer of those media, the mediums uh, that are out there. Um, of course, the angels sang together creation, Job 38.7. Can you imagine? And of course, we, I mean, can you even picture sound traveling through open space? How does song travel outside of an oxygen atmosphere? But yet, so the angels are singing at their creation of the world. Um, they're shouting and they're singing there in Job 38. Uh, Cain's offering made musical instruments right away. That was one of their, again, the, the music wasn't the issue. It was their departure from God, but they were very, very skilled in that right off the bat. Uh, Moses and Israel sang in the wilderness at Exodus 15, the song of Moses. Uh, just after they crossed the Red Sea, they burst out into song. And, and, and admit it, you, when you think of Moses and the law, do you picture singing and rejoicing? Our mind kind of has a hard time at we, you know, we want to see Moses as, you know, big beard, really stoic, stone tablets, maybe scowl, no emotion. Moses was an emotional man. Moses cried. Moses rejoiced. Moses laughed. Moses uh, spoke with passion, compassion. Um, and so here they just burst out into song and cheering over what God had done. Uh, and we spent a lot of time, I'm not gonna, we're going to go back there, but uh, Exodus 32, uh, really one of, the, one of the most poignant passages dealing with what we see going on around us today. It's not, Exodus 32 doesn't describe the New Testament church. Um, it's Israel's, uh, there in the wilderness, the base of Sinai, Moses goes up to the mount. Uh, there's the old golden calf incident. Um, but it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul is talking about the Old Testament was written for in samples or examples unto us, for our admonition. And then he says specifically in there, neither be ye idolaters. And both that and the next verse are both talking about Exodus 32 and what happened there. And he's applying that to the churches and saying, don't be idolaters. Again, we talked about it in depth, I think, last time that what happened there is really no different than what's happening today uh, at churches all over the world, individual Christian lives. Um, there were not at the base of Sinai. I know they're not making a literal golden calf, but essentially it's a syncretism, an attempt to have a syncretism between the elements of a pagan society, the worship of a holy God, to try to elevate one and drag the other down to meet in the middle, and then call it a feast to Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D. Aaron just 
tomorrow's a feast unto Jehovah, he says. What, what, a, what an idiotic statement. Unbelievable. Um, because again, Moses got, or Aaron got sucked into the pressure. You know, it's better to have everybody in a compromised worship than just a few in true worship. And that happens all the time. And of course, Moses comes down and he's, he's furious. It sounds like war in the camp. And again, you see that today all the time. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but you see a synchronism, a syncretism between paganism and, and Christianity. It leads to chaos. It leads to doctrinal blindness. It leads to a resistance to true spiritual leadership. It leads to clothes coming off, standards dropping, sound of war, and everybody thinking this is terrific. That's what it produces every time. Of course, uh, the New Testament calls it idolatry. Uh, it's still idolatry today to try to mix those two things together. And it's, of course, recorded for us for all time. You remember, uh, I mean, we have books dealing with Israel in the wilderness, but what we're given is really a select few snapshots of things that happened. I mean, how many things happen? You know, take your life and record 40 years worth of stuff. <laughs> we're... Where do you start, right? But uh, So that was one of the snapshots that the Holy Spirit chose to give us to give us a historical record and then drag over to the New Testament and say, don't, don't follow their example uh, because that, that absolutely happens. Um, so they made worldly music and they blended uh, idolatry with the worship of God and God, of course, wasn't pleased. Deborah and Barak sang in the downfall of Sisera and Judges. Uh, the Levites were organized to sing and make music and praise to God. I'll say more on that in a minute. But the, some of them were actually appointed to sing just to God. Um, that they, they, they'd have a choir that sang just to the Lord. Yeah, I mean, that's just fantastic. And what what it's just it's tremendous. Um, I mean, it kind of you remember the language in uh, in Acts thirteen. I wasn't planning on saying this, but uh, so I'm kind of it's kind of on top of my head, but. They send Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries. We would call them missionaries. And it says in that passage, they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. What exactly does that mean? They Maybe something similar. There, there was a, a praise just between them and God. No, no audience. Uh, it is really a fantastic thing. And that was their mindset before uh, sending out what we call these first missionaries, um, whether somebody likes that term or not. Um, the Psalms contain 150 musical Psalms to God. Uh, the wicked make music to entertain themselves in their rebellion. That's mentioned in Job and Isaiah and Amos and multiple other passages. That there's a certain song and sound that's associated with the world and we're told to get away from it. Uh, Israel sang when God fought against Moab and Ammon. David sang or I played. I don't really, I've, I've heard it said that he sang. Um, again, if you know a specific reference that said he sang before Saul, I'd be interested. I only remember the ones where he played. But anyway, it was music uh, that comforted Saul in his distress. Um, I don't think David uh, got up and started rapping, do you? I don't think that calmed Saul's spirit. I think Saul would have stuck him with a javelin sooner if he started rapping, right? This is King Saul. He's headed for a fall or, you know, some kind of uh, idiocy like that. Um, so the Israelite women sang into return of the armies from battle. Uh, David made many musical instruments and organized music for the worship of God in First Chronicles. Solomon made musical instruments. Their songs of fools in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Israel sang at the coronation of Solomon. They sang at the coronation of Joash. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his idolatrous feast. What not it interesting? What was it that was the cue to fall down and worship the idol? I mean, why didn't he say, uh, when you hear the command... No, he said, when you hear this particular type of music start, 
that's your cue. It, why is that? Did Nebuchadnezzar realize it? Was it just purely Satan? I, I don't know, but I, I think he, he knew a certain atmosphere helped out with the idolatry. It let the guard down. I, I mean, I have to wonder, what, what kind of music were they playing? I mean, I don't get the picture it was a John Sousa march. You know, this was probably some new agey, ethereal, I mean, who knows, but it was some kind of creation of an atmosphere that I, I dare say probably wasn't sacred music. And it was something to get them in the right mood for idolatry. So, I mean, these, these things put together give us loud warnings that music uh, can be associated with some very, very bad things. Um, I mentioned last time or two times ago, I'm not going to, again, you, you can pull this up yourself. If somebody wants the resources, I'd, I'd point them in the right direction. But page after page after page of secular musicians that will tell you music is absolutely not neutral. They, they will tell you, you, got, you know Mick Jagger? Mick Jagger is still dancing around the stage in his spandex. He's 78 years old. Uh, he, he supposedly had some kind of spiritual experience the way back, and he, he talks about God a little bit now. Uh, I, don't, I wonder if he's still seeing sympathy for the devil. I don't know, but he's a very, very... Uh, Keith Richards, the guitarist, says he's not quite ready to go see his friend Lucifer yet. He wants to be around a little while. He just recently said that. Um, but these guys will tell you this isn't neutral. Uh, this is absolutely not neutral. It, it's, it's, they'll tell you it's, it's satanic, it's powerful, it's, it's sexuality, all sorts of things. Um, let's see, where were we? Israel sang in the rededication of the temple in the days of Hezekiah. They sang in the dedication of the rebuilt temple in Ezra. They sang in the dedication of the rebuilt wall in Nehemiah. Uh, Jesus, again, Jesus sang with his disciples. We talked about that some before, but uh, when they sang in him, they included him. So uh, it doesn't go into Jesus's musical ability. That wasn't necessarily the focus, but he did sing. He sang psalms. He sang hymns. Um, that would have been a part of his life since childhood. Uh, that wasn't recorded for us on purpose. Uh, but we are told that he did it, at least, even if we don't have access to, to hearing him do it yet. I, You know, you'll get to hear Jesus sing someday. Think about that. Think of hearing the Lamb of God singing a song of redemption. He, imagine, you know, we, we sing that song, of course, it's the word. Imagine Jesus singing, I gave my life for thee. My precious blood. Can you imagine that? It's astounding. Um, God is very musical. Music came from Him. Of course He sings. That's mentioned too. God the Father singing. But churches are commanded to sing psalms, hymns, hymns, and spiritual songs. Again, we won't go there again. But in Philippians 5, it's right in the chain of thought of being filled as a command to be filled with the Spirit. Again, that's not a one-time deal, a crisis experience. This is a growth of submission to the being controlled by the Holy Spirit. But as that grows, immediately what's mentioned as a fruit of that is speaking to yourselves or among yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So uh, sacred music sort of spontaneously begins to come out of the heart that's in a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. That, that's one of the things being taught there. Um, and, and I think, again, this trajectory of Holy Spirit filling doesn't always look like this. It's not either or. We have to get that out of our minds. It's a struggle. And there's times we're walking in the Spirit. And, but as we progress in growth, we may find that more. Um, 
I mean, one of those songs has come to mind to me lately, and, and sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. But you know the song. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. And sometimes that song will come to mind at times where that's true, and sometimes that song will come to mind when my rest is very much disturbed. And it makes me think, hmm, now why is that? Um, so it's in connection with the filling of the Spirit, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Again, melody is the focus there, simple melody, okay, not, not worldly music. Paul and Silas, locked in the stocks at midnight, bleeding backs, miserable, really pretty hope. It doesn't get much more hopeless than a Roman prison, does it? I mean, I, I, I've been in some weird circumstances that I didn't like much, but I haven't been there. And what's their response? By the way, they didn't know what God was about to do. They're, here they are singing praises. It's dark in there, right? I don't even think the other prisoners could see him because they called for a light later on. So these guys are sitting there in this black dungeon, and all of a sudden these two guys that are locked in the stocks in the middle start singing praises at midnight. I guarantee you, those guys in that prison, if they'd been there a while, they'd heard a lot of stuff in that prison, but they hadn't heard that. They had not heard that. And, uh, of course, uh, you know the story. It leads to the earthquake and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. But I can't remember if I mentioned it last time. But it reminds me of uh, Psalm 40 and verse 3. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. You know, a Christian who, who actually praises God helps the world to fear him. I mean, think, let's say you're in tough circumstances and you're able to say, oh, my God knows what he's doing. What does that, what does that show them? <laughs> he can be trusted. He's in perfect control. He knows what he's doing. Uh, this isn't lost on him. It doesn't take him by surprise. Um, the earth will break forth in singing during the millennium. It's Isaiah 14. I can't wait. The millennium just fascinates me. It really does. I like to sit and think about all these different things that are going to happen. And uh, music will be a big part of it. Children playing in the streets. The Lord loves children playing, by the way. There'll be children throwing balls and who knows what else, frisbees. I don't know if they'll break windows there. It's okay. King Jesus has lots of money. It won't be that hard to fix, right? But there, uh, there's a lot of the curse will be rolled back. Music will be a big part of it. The desert will blossom like a rose. Um, redeemed saints will be there. Perfect. Singing. Uh, singing. And so, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I assume that being perfectly in a glorified body, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and guess that all glorified bodies are going to be able to sing. Well, I just, I just can't imagine some off-key dude. I remember, God bless him, I, w I was at this church in college for a little while. Uh, in fact, it was in my lost days, but I, I was, this little Baptist church, and uh, he was maybe 50, 60 people, and there's this big dude with these big horn rim glasses, probably 6'5", and he stood right in the middle. And he sang for all he was worth. He was so awful. I, I know he was sincere, but not only was he off pitch, but the timing. Like it, it made the whole song speed up. And, then, and, then, and, then, and, and you could tell people are like, I, there won't be any of that. Uh, not that I always read the music well either. I, I've messed up our new song uh, pretty well. Um, but everyone, I think, will be able to sing. The end-time Babylonian world system loves music. Uh, that's interesting. Revelation 18, commercial Babylon. Uh, personally, I think Babylon will be rebuilt uh, as in the kingdom of the Antichrist. 
But it's interesting, you see the idolatry listed there, all the things destroyed, and it, and it mentions all these commercial goods. And souls of men is the very last thing on the list. I mean, you go to gold, silver, and precious stones, and down to wood, and down in value, down to men. This is a city that, frankly, could care less about men's eternal souls. It's consumed with commercialism. And God wipes it out. And one of the things mentioned being destroyed, it lists all these instruments of music. That it was a very, very musical city. Um, well, will be. Of course, it's mentioned in past tense there in Revelation. And then finishing that list again is uh, Revelation 5, Revelation 14, Revelation 15. There's singing mentioned in heaven. In fact, in Revelation 5, it's the angel singing, Thou art worthy to the Lamb of God who is about to loose those seals and what's contained in those seals. Uh, and by the way, that's a point of... Dis there's all kinds of theological discussion. What, what is in that seal? I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too simplistic, but I think it's pretty evident in the context that seal is God's written judgment. Because as it's loose, the judgment's being poured out. And only the Lamb is worthy to open that up. But... As the judgment of God is being poured out, or just before the angels are actually praising Him for it. Um, Revelation 14, you have the martyrs singing. Revelation 15, you have the martyrs singing uh, the song of Moses, which I think we ended right about there last time. And that's fascinating. The song of Moses was a song of rejoicing that God was wiping out His enemies. Really kind of imprecatory in nature. And here these martyrs are singing the song of Moses. God is about to clean house on the earth. And they're, uh, they're frankly rejoicing. And it's okay to rejoice in that. It's okay to rejoice. We want to love souls of men. We want to give people a chance and have compassion. But we, we also want to rejoice that God's going to take care of evil. Evil is a temporary monster that God has allowed to accomplish his own eternal purposes. Think about that. That is very hard for our minds to, to comprehend. I mean, you think about evil... Either evil either developed by itself and took God by surprise. God's not the author of evil. Did he know about it? Yes. Could he end it all right now? Yes, he, he could end it right now. Uh, it's very hard for us to understand that. But it'll be dismissed from the universe, just like every other temporary thing, um, as God is glorified by everything. All right, so they're singing in heaven. There's a lot of other references in the Old Testament we're not going to talk about. But all right, jumping ahead. The largest book of the Bible is what book? Psalms. And what is Psalms? What was it written as? I'll admit, I easily forget that. Because, you know, in my mind, a, a, a hymn book has a bunch of squigglies and lines on it that I don't know what they mean, but, but they're there, and that tells me that's music. And then I open up the Psalms, and it's a collection of poetry, and I don't see the lines and squigglies, and so I easily forget what it was written as. But Psalms is the only divinely inspired hymnal. It doesn't mean we shouldn't sing other music, but it's the only truly divinely inspired hymnal. Uh, God gave a perfect hymn book through Israel, His chosen nation. And since, again, the largest book in the Bible is a song book, how important to God is sacred music? I mean, you lay your Bible down. I always you know, tell young people or even new Christians, Easy way to find the Psalms is go right in the middle and open, and you're almost always there. Right in the middle of your Bible, the biggest book is a very large hymnal. 
Well, that tells us something about uh, this being important to the Lord. Um, Psalms is infinite in its teaching. It's a whole world of revelation. The name of the book in Hebrew is Tehillim, which means songs of praises. In Hebrew, the individual psalms are called mizmor, which means melody of praise. And then in the New Testament, uses the word psalmos in the Greek. And uh, that's, what, that's what it uses referring to the psalms, the word psalmos. And psalmos is from salo, which refers to touching or plucking the strings of a harp. So right, right built into the Greek word referring to the psalms is, is musical instruments. It's, it's both the singing... Uh, and the accompaniment. Now there are a hundred, in fact, why don't you go and turn there. Turn to the book of Psalms. Open right to the middle. You should be there, right? Uh, Depending how long your concordance and everything is in the back. Um, All right. 150 divinely inspired hymns. And of course, uh, they come across to us in translation form. Um, Some of the poetry is retained. I think some of it doesn't come across the languages. So we have the inspired words preserved, but the musical element of it, uh, maybe not as much. Um, But it deals with every facet of God's character and every aspect of human experience and man's relationship with God. Now, turn to Psalm 1. Let me just illustrate this quickly. Keep in mind when you read that this... The Holy Spirit inspired this hymnal as things we are supposed to bring before God and as things the Jews brought before God in song. Okay, Psalm 1. They're singing about the fact that really that's, that, that sets the theme for the whole book. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So they're, they're singing about the blessing of practicing separation. from that which draws them away from God and the blessing of meditating upon the word day and night. Um, By the way, I'm going to mention Isaac Watts in a minute. Some of you may have heard this story. This sounds grotesque maybe, but uh, you think you'll get my point. It actually made us laugh. It showed us the power of, of singing the words of Scripture and the effect that has on a mind, especially mind of a child. Some of you may have heard this. Forgive me if you have, but uh, it was actually it was Lydia when she was younger. Um, I don't remember how old, uh, old enough to understand the song. But uh, Isaac Watts, I think it's called Spiritual Psalms and Hymns for Children or something like that. I'm going to mention another Isaac Watts book in a minute. But it's an old hymnal that Isaac Watts wrote. You can still get it. I think Banner Truth may publish it still. And it's Isaac Watts' Psalms and Hymns for Children, something along those lines. And it is... Let me tell you something. I'm, now, don't, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying there shouldn't be joy and exciting things and smiling with children, but, but one thing that Watts had a handle on was the transient nature of life and the necessity of teaching sober things to children. And so you see songs in there. This is a children's song, songbook. Solemn Thoughts of God and Death. Now there's happier ones in there too. Okay, but one of the songs talked about... Uh, you remember uh, in, the, in the Proverbs that basically the eye that despises its parents that the ravens are going to pluck, uh, pluck it out, you know? And so one of Watts' songs uh, talked about that, that you despise parents and the ravens will pluck your eyes out. 
And uh, okay, so fast forward a couple weeks. And Lydia's out in the yard playing. And she had evidently been thinking about this, but she, she misunderstood what was said in the song. And so she, she comes walking to me and she goes, Daddy, there's a robin in the yard. And I said, okay, great. She goes, no, because that song said, if I don't obey mommy and daddy, that robin will pick my eyes out. And so we had a discussion on that, that it didn't say Robin. And, and, and she was actually bothered. She felt like she'd been disrespectful. And, and so she's out and she saw that Robin and she thought, here he comes. I, so I don't want my kids to walk around in terror. You understand what I'm saying? But it was, I thought, wow, it's amazing though how that sticks in their minds. And so children's songs, it should be joy, glad, but I want to be careful. I'm not a fan of a lot of the stupidity that's developed and a lot of stuff that calls itself children's ministry because we, we has to be balanced with, with sobriety that this isn't just songs about Noah's Ark. It's a big joke, right? It's a big, a big fuzzy guy on a boat with some giraffe sticking out of something the size of a bathtub because God likes animals. Isn't, isn't that... Friend, that ain't the story of Noah's Ark. God drowned millions of people and sent them to hell because they were rebels and God preserved eight. So... Anyway, there has to be balance in the sobriety of it. Um, But so, all right, the psalm, the divine hymnal begins with that, uh, praising God for just the blessing of of separating from evil and then the scriptures building our life and the the confidence. If If we make the word of God our meditation day and night, you can't avoid being fruitful. I mean, if we listen to the scriptures and determine we're gonna do what it says, it sounds simplistic, uh, but isn't that basically how decide, how growth happens? It is. Um, all right, Psalm two. You ever uh, you ever looked around and gone, what is wrong with this planet? How about this one? Why is it? It's really an interesting phenomenon. I'm not getting into politics. Okay, don't misunderstand me. Um, I'm not. The Republicans aren't going to save America any more than anybody else. Um, my hope is not in politics. I hope yours isn't. But it's a curious phenomenon to me that it's possible for people to maybe leave a place where the actual policies are destroying it, and they may move somewhere else and want to bring the institute all the same policies. I, I want to minister to people too. I'm not making a big issue about it, but I'm saying that it's a curiosity to me. I sit and wonder, why is that? But we were just talking about this, in fact, recently in our own home. I said it's no different, though, than what's happening with socialism. I mean, how, how many successful examples of socialism are there in history? Well, that's pretty easy to count, right? None? Socialism destroys everything it touches. All the while, the government's talking about how great it works, right? So why is it that people are so excited to institute socialism again? Because... Human arrogance says it's going to work this time. It's, it's going to work this time. Uh, where do they get that from? Well, what makes the devil keep going? It didn't work this time. It didn't work this time. I got news for you. One of these days, the devil's going to put his man on the throne of this world for a while. It'll seem to work. But you look around and go, what's, what's wrong? Well, that's the psalmist saying, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? They're actually singing, what's wrong with this world? <laughs> and... 
Why do people imagine a vain thing? Why do they imagine that, that humanity will fix his own problems without God? That You talk about a vain thing. And then what else? He, <laughs> they set themselves together against the Lord, against His anointing, saying, let us break their bands and sunder. Reference the Trinity. Let, let's get rid of, we don't want God, we vote God out. That's exactly what our society is doing, by the way. This should, this should be the national anthem. And I say that with all seriousness. Psalm 2 should be America's new national anthem. Sadly, it's more fitting. Um, Psalm 3, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? So God's instructing the psalmists and, and, and the Jews and then us by proxy to actually sing out to God when <laughs> people are increasing against us. And then you have Psalm 4, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. It's pleading with God to hear my prayers. Not that God needs that to hear us, but I guess what I'm saying is it's not even under the law, the dispensation of law, this relation to God that the psalmist had and, and the others had, like David, it wasn't mechanical. It wasn't two stone tablets and a stony-faced lawkeeper talking to a stony-faced God. There was vibrant and, and, and intimate and growing and, and the Psalms illustrates that. Um, how about Psalm 6? O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. <laughs> you ever gone before God and said something like that? Lord, I'm scared you're going to beat me. Maybe I deserve the beating because I'm doing stupid things and... Maybe it's just a sense of guilt, and I don't even know why. But yet they bring it to God. And again, God inspired this. And we could just keep walking through these. If you go through the first verses of several Psalms, how about this one? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was a song that the Hebrews sang. Now, definitely a prophecy of Christ. He's the only one, by the way, who could ever say that among God's people with perfect... You and I, we may feel that way. Um, do you understand you can never, ever, ever be forsaken by God like Christ was? You cannot. But I, I want to be careful. I don't want to apply a messianic psalm too much to, to me or you, but I, I, what I'm illustrating is we can go before God and, and they were instructed to do so even in times where you felt like God abandoned you. And so the Psalms really cover this tremendous panorama of not just divine attributes, but human experience, real world relationship with God, pain, agony, jubil jubilation. You see all of it. It was William Law who said, singing Psalms awakes all that is good and holy within you calling your spirits to their proper duty, setting you in your best posture towards heaven and tuning all the powers of your soul to worship and admiration. What a statement. So we know the songs were sung by Israel and Israel invented special musical instruments for singing the Psalms. You see that second Chronicles 7, 6, they actually created instruments specifically to sing those. They put that much effort into it. Uh, Psalms historically have been sung by a wide variety. They were sung by the Protestant churches, especially way back. Now, again, I would take issue calling myself Protestant. Uh, that's a long discussion. 
And by the way, I don't blow someone's head off when they ask, are you Catholic or Protestant? I, a lot of times I'm not going to launch into a history lesson, but I usually say neither. Um, I'm not protesting Rome. I didn't come from Rome. Uh, there's been a line of biblical churches the whole way. But the Protestants, there were some solid gospel teaching Protestants. Uh, we may have disagreed on some things, but they preached the new birth. A metrical Psalter is an addition of the Psalms meant to be sung. The Psalms are translated and adapted in such a way that they can be sung one or more meters or tunes. Isaac Watts, do you know Isaac Watts was a premillennialist? And you talk about a rare theological bird in his day. There were a lot of people uh, that, that did not agree with him in that. Because predominantly it was allegorical interpretation. And, and so uh, Watts actually believed uh, that Christ would return before the millennium. And uh, he had some really interesting things to say regarding the Psalms. Um, he's known as the father of English hymnology. He spent 19 years producing his Psalter or his, his edition of the Psalms. And he wrote another 697 hymns. I don't remember the exact number. Some of you may be familiar with Watts' story, but you talk about a guy raised up by God at a particular time uh, to do something great musically. He was. The story goes something like this. I'm probably getting some of the details wrong, but he was really bugged by the shallowness and the redeeming. You read some of the psalms, or some of the hymns they sang in his day when he was young, and they were ridiculous. Some of them made no sense whatsoever. And uh, Watts challenged that, and his dad basically said to him, I believe his dad was the pastor, and his dad, his dad basically said, in effect, well, <clears throat> if you've got such great ideas, why don't you write something better? And I, I believe it was the next 222 Sundays he wrote a new hymn every week. You Tell me that's not a gift of God. That's amazing. So uh, Watts published A Way to Sing the Hymns. He was a pioneer at adapting the Psalms, so the New Testament truth is incorporated. Now listen to this. This is fantastic. Here's what Watts said. Far be it from my thoughts to lay aside the book of Psalms in public worship. So he's saying, I, I still want to use the Psalms, but it must be acknowledged still that there are a thousand lines in it which were not made for the church in our days to assume as its own. What's he saying? He's saying a lot of the Psalms, dispensationally, he may not use that word, but they were specifically Jewish in nature, like the imprecatory Psalms, calling down. We don't, we don't call down judgment on our enemies. That's not our place here. Let me say something as a side note, too, by the way. If you ever, I ran across this this week in a conversation, you know, talking about compassion on, on people in the LGBTQ community. Is it, a, is it a bad lifestyle? Sure it is. Should we hate them? No. Can they be saved? Yes, some can. Uh, some in Corinth were. You know, I had a conversation with somebody that said, I, I, don't, I don't think they can be saved. And I essentially said, you know, the Bible thinks they can. But let me just mention this as a plug. You'll run into that. That's one of the, one of the tenets of what's called the new IFB movement. Guys like Steven Anderson in Arizona or Boyles in Florida. New IFB. Old-fashioned, soul-winning, King James-only, conservative, traditional, fundamental Baptist. Profanity-using, 
national future for Israel, denying, Holocaust, denying, homosexual, hating. Let me just throw that as an aside. That, that, that's, that's becoming, unfortunately, a, a problem, particularly in the South. Um, Steven Anderson's a wingnut. He really is. He says some good things, but, but don't listen to that guy. Anyway, back to, back to where we were, though. So Watts says, how do I get on that? Oh, imprecatory Psalms. We, we're not, that's one of the things this movement will do, by the way. So let me give you an example. Here you have the nightclub shooting in Orlando, a gay nightclub. And uh, here Reverend Wonderful stands up and says, good, I'm glad they were all killed. There's less pedophiles in the world. And he thinks he's standing for truth. It's, it's really, it's, it's just, it's, it's sickening is what it is. Sickening. Um, anyways, so Watts is acknowledging some of the, some of the Psalms, they lay the foundation of the church, but they're distinctly Jewish in nature. He says, there's also, listen to this, there's also many deficiencies of light and glory. Now, Psalm's saying, is Watts saying the scriptures aren't sufficient? No, but listen to what he says. There's many deficiencies of light and glory which our Lord Jesus and his apostles have supplied to the writings of the New Testament. So he's saying we need to interpret the New or the Old Testament in light of the New and not vice versa. He was, he was correct. And uh, he says you'll find also in this paraphrase dark expressions enlightened and the Levitical ceremonies and Hebrew forms of speech changed into the worship of the gospel and explained in the language of our time and nation. So Watts basically took the Psalms, applied them properly to New Testament church truth, adapted them to fit different uh, meters to be sung on, and published a hymnal. It took him 19 years to do that. Um, so, <clears throat> anyways, he, he, Watts' Psalter with his five meters or tunes, basically there's five tunes, you learn them and you can sing the whole thing is an example of singing hymns to simple melodies. And so, let me just say, now, excuse the singing here, but let me just illustrate. It, oh, God, our help in ages past. Okay? Here's what, here's what Watts does with Psalm 1. Blessed is the... Help me out. Oh, God, our help in ages past. See, I already forgot the tune. Oh, God, our... I, ah! I, already, I remembered it this morning. All right, I'll just read it to you. But you get the picture, okay? This is to be sung to our God, our help in ages... Oh, God, our help in ages past. Blessed is the man who shuns the place where sinners love to meet, who fears to tread their wicked ways and hates the scoffer's seat. But in the statutes of the Lord hath placed his chief delight. By day he reads or hears the word and meditates by night. He, like a plant of generous kind by living water set, safe from the storms and blasting wind, enjoys a peaceful state. Green as the leaf and ever fair shall his profession shine, while fruits of holiness appear like cluster on the vine. Not so the impious and unjust, what vain designs they form. Their hopes are blown away like dust or chaff before the storm. Sinners in judgment shall not stand amongst the sons of grace when Christ the judge at his right hand appoints his saints a place. His eyes behold the path they tread, his heart approves it, it well, but crooked ways of sinners lead down to the gates of hell. Isn't that tremendous? It's fantastic. And that, that is a, a very faithful usage of Psalm 1 uh, adapted to, to, to Psalms, or adapted to 
to singing. The songs were sung by some Baptist, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle of Charles Haddon Spurgeon fame. Uh, their 1866 hymnal actually contained Watts' Psalter in addition to other hymns. Um, some of their later edition of Metropolitan Tabernacle did the same thing. Um, Free Church of Scotland, Presbyterian Church, etc., etc. And I will be done in just a minute. I draw my note, my line. Um, there was singing in the Old Testament temple. Now it, it's it's actually neat to see how this developed, and I'll just touch on it quickly. David organized the music worship program for the temple. This began on the occasion of bringing the Ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem. Okay, now think about that. Think about how far into the tabernacle's history David actually was. Okay, keeping in mind, this was first constructed in the days of Moses. So David organizes this when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem after being in exile. The ark was set in tent in Jerusalem. David appointed a continual music program. 1 Chronicles 16. When David was old, in connection with the charge to Solomon about the building of the temple, he further organized the Levitical music program, assigning 4,000 priests to this task. He did this by divine revelation. In 1 Chronicles 28, you see, when he's relating it to Solomon, he said this was done by the Spirit. So it's something not expressly written, but the Lord, by revelation, told him how to do this. So 4,000 Levitical priests, their job was singing and musical instruments and praise. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. So suddenly the tabernacle's filled with holy worship music. Now, I mentioned the Song of Moses, but picture this. There had been no such thing from the time of Moses till David as this. The divine tabernacle service described in Exodus and Leviticus, there's all kinds of information given there, but there's no music. There were no Levites appointed to music. There was no hymnal. The temple, the tabernacle, was quiet. I mean, it must have been like a deathly quiet. So, with David, a new era begins. And... And rightly so, not the bad kind of new era. We're moving further along towards the coming of Christ. Remember David's promise an eternal throne and kingdom ruled by his son, who is Christ. Uh, David is, is, is a type, a picture of the Lord Jesus, the one who's going to sit on that eternal throne. Uh, so God added music on purpose right then to develop things further, but you didn't see it before that. All right, we're out of time. We've got to stop. Any further questions, comments, thoughts? All right, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we, we thank you for music and we thank you for giving us uh, whatever ability you've given us. Lord, we acknowledge it, it must completely pale to what's coming, but help us, Lord, to, to grow in our understanding and appreciation and skill and uh, vibrancy of worship in our own personal life and, and, and as a church. And not just because we're commanded to, we want to obey your commands. But Father, we, we want to obey because it pleases you that we can actually sing before you and it's like laying down a gift at your feet that you don't despise, you are, are pleased with. 
Father, we want to bring you joy in our life and song. Thank you for giving us so much in your word on this topic. In Jesus' name, amen.